0: Young, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked, no, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10, he dives. touchdown 49ers!
1: What's up everybody, Al Sacco and Zane Nockby here for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And this show today is going to be a little bit different. Now, anybody who listens to the show a lot knows what we usually do is Zane and I will do our intro. We'll talk about the game or whatever else. Then we usually have our guest on. And then after the guest, we um, go on and we review the game and, and do our thing that way. Going to be different this episode because we actually have 49ers offensive lineman Derek Dees, calling in and we're not quite sure when. So Zane and I are going to do our thing, talk about the game, and then Zane, we get to talk
2: to Derek Dees. Yeah, I'm super excited about this because I—he was one of my my favorite 49ers actually of that of that Super Bowl team because he was just like he was supposed to be an undersized sort of offensive lineman and, and he was super athletic and and people didn't think he would make and all of a sudden this guy's starting in the Super Bowl and it's just a really really cool story so I'm excited to ask him about To I'm excited obviously excited to ask him about the Super Bowl and Jerry Rice and playing with all those great players I'm I'm super pumped to talk to him. All right,
1: Zane. So shifting gears here, uh, we got to get in this game a little bit. And I said last week, you know, we we had all these positive vibes from the Garoppolo trade and Mm -hmm. everything, you know, oh, we know they got their quarterback and and good feelings. And I was just like, all right, everything's just going to come to a crashing halt (laughs) when they take the field. Yeah. And that kind of happened. And Mm -hmm. it was, again, it's it's just kind of the same story over and over again where the defense doesn't play great but they play well enough and the offense is just a disaster and again it was just it was so bad and i know they're injured and i know you have a rookie quarterback probably shouldn't be playing i know the offensive line is what it is but i mean what has it been 10 points in three straight weeks they've scored one touchdown or less in six out of nine games this year it's it's like it's just not fun <laughs> i mean i don't know anything else to say it just watching this team on offense is brutal right now
2: yeah and and our friend tracy sandler put out a stat where the 49ers have led for all of six offensive plays this year that's that's wow. six yes offensive plays this year they've had the lead so they've been playing from behind for most of the year and you know it's just one of those situations where you you just kind of have to laugh at it because you, you kind of know what's coming and you want to be you want to be mad at it you want to be upset at it you want to you want to really just just rip your hair out but then you realize that there's no bodies on this team to feel the roster like they're literally starting pract- undrafted practice squad guys along the offensive line and getting guys off the street to play defensive line and and it's just the the roster is just in in shambles and it's like when, you know, when, you, when your kids kind of do something and, and they're bad, like you're, you're, you're mad at them, but you also love them. That's kind of how I feel about the 49ers mm-hmm. right now, right? Like I'm, I'm mad at them, but I also, you know, like I understand, I get it, right? I get why they're, they're so bad right now. And, you know, there's, I feel like when, when you're a bad team and record wise, when you're a bad team, you start to press. And when you start to press, especially in a physical game, you get hurt. And the, the second half of that is when you're not when you don't have enough depth, your starters are playing more snaps. So the combination of pressing and playing more snaps has just killed this team. And you can see it with what is it, 17 guys on IR now? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's just absolutely brutal. And one of the one of the frustrating parts has been the
1: offensive line. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I was just thinking about it and said to myself, well, how did we get here? how did we get to this point where, where the line is what it is? And it, it's such an issue. And you look at the season, the tackle play has been, been good. Staley's good. And it's, you know, he's not what he was, but he's still a good player. And Trent Brown's had a breakout season. It's the interior of the offensive line that's, that's really hurting the team. And so you look at where they are right now. And and Brandon Fusco's actually, he's, he's played better than I thought he would this year. He's been up and down. He's had some really good games and he's had some not so good games. He's He's been inconsistent out of the interior line, he's been the best player, but Kilgore struggled all year and Tomlinson has struggled all year. And look at, let's look at how they got here. Well, first and foremost, you got to blame Trey Balky because the two draft picks that killed this team were Brandon Thomas and Marcus Martin, because those guys were drafted to anchor the interior of the line to play center, to play guard. And they were complete whiffs and Joshua Garnett, possibly too. We know he's injured, but and I guess we don't know what he's going to be. So he's not there right now. So that's all really hurt. And then you look at what they tried to do to sort of put the band-aids on this year. They they signed Fusco and they go out and they trade for Jeremy Zuda. Those were the, the first couple things that they did. Now, as much as we like sort of, you know, where they're headed and and we like John Lynch and everything like that, the Jeremy Zuda trade was a bad move because you, you brought this guy in to be competition for Kilgore. And granted, he was coming off a Pro Bowl season, but he was done. He was done even make it, you know, he got caught almost immediately. Um, completely done, so then that hurts them. There's your depth. You know, Fusco, again, he's, he's, he's been okay. Um, you know, we'll see what he does, but I, you know, I don't think he's blowing the doors off. Benny, stretch of the imagination. He's been inconsistent. And then the Tomlinson, getting him was just desperation. It's all it was because Beatles was so bad. So now you have an interior offensive line that you look at two good tackles that have been playing well, but the interior is getting, getting blown up, and now you have these issues.
2: Yeah. And I, I don't want to keep harping on this because it's, it's beating a dead horse, but the 49ers are now paying for years of draft neglect and years of misses by trambalki. I don't want mm-hmm. to keep pinning it on, on things in the past, but really you're, you're looking at the 2012, 2013, 14, 15 drafts. Those guys would have been veterans right now on this team. Right. And those guys would have been significant contributors. So they're basically paying for Trent Balky's past draft sins. Now I will say that they, I feel like they were a little conservative with spending on the salary cap and, and bringing more players. And they, they did bring a, in a nice group of players to lay the foundation, but I thought that maybe they could throw, they could have brought some more, some more starter caliber players, especially along the offensive line. Um, I really, really hope that they have some sort of plan to address this in the off season because when your offensive line is not up to par you really can't evaluate anything like cj bethard how can they evaluate him when he's on his he took 16 hits last game like he took some some really nasty shots al and i thought that he wasn't going to get up after a couple of them but you can't evaluate your running backs cuz there's no holes like everything starts up front we like the old cliche that the game is won in the trenches the 49ers were at their best at least in the past five years or seven years, they were at their best when they had a dominating offensive line. And I really feel like that's going to have to be the focus in the draft and the off season is rebuilding that offensive line, especially when you have what the 49ers hope to be a franchise quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. Like you don't, you're not going to stick him behind a patchwork offensive line. It's just foolish. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. And and, and again, I,
1: th- I think that, the approach this season on the offense was to have some placeholders there. While they tried to build long term with the defense, so you would hope that some of those offensive positions are addressed. And I, I believe that they will. One of the, one of the things we just talked about last off season, a, a player that was brought in and everyone was really excited about what he could do with Kyle Shanahan was was uh, Kyle Uzcheck. And there was oh, okay, he's an offensive weapon. And you look at what they pay him. Well, they're not just going to pay a, a fullback for that. You look at what he's done. I expected him to be a huge part of the offense this year. So. You look at his targets. Okay. Targets are where I want to go first. He has 14 targets this year in seven games, and he has nine receptions. On top of that, he has five carries for 28 yards. So he's basically touching the ball maybe about twice a game. You pay all this money for this guy. Why are you not finding ways to get him the ball? Why are you not putting him in the game plan? Did you really pay that much money for him just to be a fullback and touch the ball sporadically? I don't understand it. I know there's been a lot of issues, but there's not a lot of playmakers on this team. And we talked about use check being, okay, well, maybe he'll play tight end. Maybe he'll do this. Maybe he'll do that. He's not doing anything. He's just not a part of of the game plan offensively in, in terms of putting the ball in his hands. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. What was the point of bringing him in if you're just using him as somebody touched the ball a couple of times? I could see if it was a modest contract, but it wasn't. You paid the guy money to be a focal point of your offense or one of the focal points of your offense, and he's not. And I I just I don't understand it.
2: Yeah, and it's it's a really curious case with Kyle Uzcheck. Like why? I'm I'm with you. I don't understand why he's not more of a focal point. You can mismatch him against linebackers. He can play along the line and block. Part of it is. He he has had some injury problems this year. I think he's had two concussions, so I think that that's kind of hindered his his integration into the offense. But even then, I just I just don't see why they're not fitting him in. And I want to I want to talk about the game plan real quick, Al, about with this last game. It just feels like Kyle Shanahan. I I felt like this last game was probably Kyle Shanahan's worst worst coach game. Really, in terms of yeah, in terms of game plan, in terms of uh, game management, I, I think that on the offensive side of the ball, at least, I felt like it was his worst coach game, and and I'll tell you why. The 49ers, we know, have a patchwork offensive line. They know we know that they that are starting guys that have never played in certain positions before, um, and we know that they have a rookie under rookie quarterback under center. So when you have all of those things in the equation, why don't you run the ball more with Carlos Hyde? He had 12 carries. He did have yeah. the nine catches, which led the team. But why aren't you running the ball with Carlos Hyde more? Why don't you run the ball with Matt Breda more? Why don't you take a little bit of pressure off of your quarterback and try to shorten that game so he's not laying on his back the, half the game? So really, I was just really questioning that. And – it just, it just seems like Kyle Shanahan is kind of grasping at straws at this point because, admittedly, like I, this is not a great situation for him to be in. I, you know, I don't envy him for being in that situation. There's not much he can do about injuries, but it feels like he's kind of just trying to try different things to find a solution. But I don't think having CJ Beathard drop back 56 times, so he attempt, attempted 51 passes and then was hit another uh, another six times where it just didn't it just didn't go anywhere. So when you have him dropping back almost 60 times a game. It's not going to work, and, and I felt like they should have run the ball more. I felt like they should protect their rookie quarterback more, and it, it just it just didn't happen. Now, the second thing I want to point to is right before the half, CJ Bathard was kind of orchestrating what looked to be a pretty good drive, and, and I will say that he looks good in a two-minute drill when, he, when you kind of don't have to think, and that kind of reminds me of Alex Smith when he was younger. Like he used to look really good in a two-minute drill because you don't really have to think. You just kind of react. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was kind of moving the ball down the field and the drive eventually stalled. And there was, there was about less than a minute left and it would have been a 56 yard field goal. And at the time the 49ers were down 14, three and Kyle Shanahan elected to punt. And all Arizona did was they just knelt on the ball and then the, the half was over. But Al, like to me, your, your own eight, I just, I just feel like he was, he was too conservative there. I'm like, what what are you doing? Like, why did you, why are you punting? at least try the field goal and in the end they lost by 10 points they would have had they would have been within one score had they made that field goal so i think that in in that sense like he he had a pretty poor game coaching
1: it's it's a lot of rookie mistakes that i see him making and, and i guess we have to be patient with that because you know he's a first-time head coach but but you're right and i agreed with you on that play i'm like you're 0 eight who cares you know go for it at that point point. and understand it and, and you made a good point about the past attempts and this season, 49ers quarterbacks are averaging 40.6 pass attempts a game. 40 a game.
0: Yeah, and a
1: Carlos Hyde is averaging 13.8 carries. That is I not know. ideal. And I, I some, of it, some of it you say, okay, all right, well, it's game-dependent. And that's true. But you look at those games that they were close in. Look at the Seattle game. You know, Look at the Indianapolis game. Look at the first Arizona game. These are close, low-scoring games, and you're not running the ball. You're dropping back and passing, and I, I don't understand that. And the 49ers actually lead the NFL in pass attempts with 366, but wow. they have the second worst completion percentage in the league at 54.9, and the fewest touchdown passes with six. They've also been sacked 32 times, which is the second most in the league. And I'm sure people are thinking, "But Al, what about the drops? Yeah, they've they've had a ton of drops. They've had 29 drops this year, which is the most out of anybody, which is awful. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. Mm-hmm. But even when you put those drops into the completion rate, the adjusted completion rate is 62.8. Okay. So if they had caught those drop passes, 49ers quarterbacks are completing 62.8% of their throws. That number would be 14th in the league. um, When you don't factor in adjusted completion rates for the other teams. So there are 14 teams in the league with a better number than that right now. And when you don't factor in those drop, the drops for them and every team has drops. So even the adjusted completion rate for the 49ers, isn't that great. It's, it's, when you look at it, it would have to still be in the lower part of the league. So, this passing attack is not working at all, not anywhere. Mm-hmm. Marcus Goodwin's dropping passes. You know, Algic Robinson looks every bit a backup. Um, Trent Taylor's, well, he's, he's, he's had some moments. You know, he's, he's playing like a rookie. Um, Pierre Garcon obviously isn't, isn't around now, although he was having a decent season. I'd like to see Bourne and Bolden get a little bit more involved don't know what they can really do at this point. I mean, you know, they're undrafted free agents. They have to develop too. And you could say, I know he's suspended, but you know, would Jeremy Curley have helped this team? He absolutely would have. And we've, we've said that um, if you didn't get suspended, but he he was playing pretty well for the jets before. So when I look at this, the Niners did this to themselves, but I think that they knew that they were doing this to themselves when they got rid of these vets who, who could play in favor of these rookies who you didn't know they had to suspect that look, this could end up being a lost year. They had to see this happening, and, and now we're seeing it come to fruition. Where there's people are getting injured, there's no depth. These guys who have no experience are being asked to play, and it's it's a it's a disaster.
2: I will say that the scheme works, though. And I think so. Yeah, I, think, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I will say that the scheme works because you see these guys are getting they're getting open. Like there's guys open almost on every play, but the either the quarterback misses them or he doesn't have time or they drop it. Like it's, it's, it's very frustrating to watch because as, as a person watching this live and, and seeing these cons, these route concepts working like they're supposed to and not execute it. It's just it, like Kyle Shanahan. Like I know, I know I kind of got on him a little bit in the, in the earlier segment, but I, I just, I feel for him. It must just drive him nuts because he's doing everything that he can to get these guys open. They get open half of the plays executed properly, but then the back half doesn't. So a lot of it is, is really Al getting guys that are meant to be number ones and twos into those positions. And unfortunately there are things that the 49ers can't control that happened to them this year. Like Pierre Garcon went on IR the day after the trade deadline. So the 49ers couldn't address wide receiver Mm -hmm. because, because he went on IR the day after. So they, they are a little bit snake bitten in that sense, but, there are some things schematically that they can do to help both C.J. Beathard and the receivers as well. I think that one of the, one of the things that they that they sometimes do, but I feel like they should do more, are a lot of quick dropbacks. Just get the ball out of C.J. Beathard's hands,
0: mm-hmm. get
2: the ball into you know like guys like Trent Taylor, although he got hurt last game, but Trent Taylor, or Kendrick Bourne, get those guys the ball in 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 small spaces because they're able to find more more creases and more holes it's kind of like like in kansas city the reason why tyreek hill is so effective in small spaces is because a he's kind of a small smallish guy but also he's got that kick return or punt return mentality so i i i feel like if the 49ers kind of do that same sort of thing with their smaller stature guys and kick returns punt returns and when they're playing receiver it alleviates some pressure off cj bethard because the brush doesn't have time to get there He's got basically like he's, he's going to that one read because what's happening with, with CJ is that he's taking a lot of hits because he's going, trying to go to his second and third reads. Like he'll see his first read covered and you'll see on the replay that his head is kind of moving around, looking at the different reads and he's, and he's taking hits. I would just make it like a one read offense. That's it. Like, hey, you know, if, if your first read's not there, just get rid of it to somebody else or just get rid of it to your, to your, your safety valve and you're running back. And until they can prove that they can block guys for more than three seconds, that's probably the best way to go until they can find bodies to fill in these, these holes in Bathard's type of quarterback,
1: at least right now, where he kind of runs into pressure sometimes. Have you noticed that he, he yeah. his pocket presence isn't really great, mm-hmm. which is frustrating because we watched other recent 49ers quarterbacks do that too. And you were hoping it wouldn't happen as much this year, but I don't think that's helping him either. When he drops back and he, you know, it just looks like he runs right into the rusher. Yeah. You know, he's really in. In one of the plays, that I mentioned it um, after when he came in in relief in Washington. I love that play where he climbed the pocket and hit that long throw to Robinson. Remember, um, yeah, yeah. in Washington, and he is. I thought, okay, maybe he's going to have some nice pocket presence. He doesn't at all. Um, a lot of his throws flutter. You know, he doesn't always throw. He kind of throws some ducks out there. So. I, I think it's unfair when people say though, like, oh, you know, he's not the answer, he's the career backup. You, you don't know yet. You don't. Mm-hmm. Guys come in as a rookie and, and they can look awful. I don't get Jared Goff last year and and then now all, you know, Goff's having a really good season under under McVay. So you don't know with rookie quarterbacks. Sometimes it takes, you know, five games for the light to turn on, sometimes it takes a year, sometimes it takes three years. You, you don't know. I'm not saying Bethridge is gonna be good. He might not, but it's unfair to judge him now. Um, especially when you're asking him to throw, drop back 50 times a game, (laughs) throwing to a bunch of rookies, you can't judge the guy yet. And listen, he's not going to be the future Garoppolo is. Um, but it's, it's tough to judge right now. I I feel bad for him. He's a sacrificial lamb. He really is. He's just back there to get destroyed until Garoppolo is ready. And then they're going to go to him. And did you see the conflicting reports with Garoppolo, how Adam Schefter reported that uh, the Niners like might, or it was, I thought it was ridiculous whatever he said, like, oh, they might not sign him, but they may. And then lock on four, I think it was, came out right after and said, like that they're working on a long-term extension. So you have these two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of Garoppolo. And I kind of thought with that, you know, like a lot can and will happen between now and the end of the season. Like all of it's just, you can't say anything right now. Garoppolo could get hurt. He could come in and be awful. He can come in and be great. You have no idea what's going to happen. But even regardless, I think the Niners thinking and all this is that they're going to sign him long-term. You don't make that trade and then uh, franchise him and trade him. <laughs> you don't make that yeah, trade because yeah. you really want Kirk Cousins. It just didn't make any sense to me to even put that out there. And I don't know. I guess crazier things have happened, but I read that report. I was like, really? Really? I I, I didn't agree with that. I, I think Garoppolo is the future here, at least they hope. And I think they're going to move forward as such, you know, through the end of the season and this off season.
2: Yeah. And I, I really respect Adam Schefter and Jason Lockett for a lot. They, I, I yeah, rely on yeah. yeah. I rely on those guys for a lot of my, my information on Twitter and, and just with off season stuff and draft stuff and all that stuff. And they're, they're pretty reliable, right? Like you, 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 you kind of respect those guys, but I, I, found, I found it was pretty funny that they're literally Conflict like one one of them is saying one thing and then the other one's like saying the complete opposite. So I think that the the correct answer would be something kind of right down the middle where it's a possibility that maybe they trade Jimmy Garoppolo for somebody next year with they get an offer they can't refuse, or uh they they end up giving him that extension. But either way, Al, we won't know until he plays. Right. And he's not gonna play until they get some sort of an offensive line in front of him. And He's he's listed as the backup right now, and Kyle Shanahan came out this week and said that he's not gonna he's not gonna sign another quarterback or bring up another quarterback from the practice squad. It's gonna be uh, C.J. Beathard and Jimmy Garoppolo as the two quarterbacks on game day. So really, Jimmy Garoppolo is one hit away from being in the game behind a Swiss cheese offensive line, and that that and right now it's just they just don't have enough people to protect. So it really comes down Al to what they value him as. Do they see him as the future of their franchise? Are they gonna make that commitment to him without seeing him play a game this year? I, I I I don't think so. I think they're gonna they're actually gonna have him play and then evaluate him after the season and say that, okay, well he's he's got some potential and we're gonna commit to him or if he's a total train wreck then they can cut their losses and they can trade him. But I really think that what Adam Shafter said was pretty much the obvious that all options are on the table. But I tend to lean towards what Locke and Fora is saying, where he's going to get a long-term deal. Like you don't, like you said, you don't make that trade unless he's going to be the the long-term answer. And I really feel like they're going to build the team around him. I almost feel like
1: even if you're not going, he's not ready to play full games yet. The season's lost. It, it's not like the playoffs are even. They may be eliminated for the playoffs, but it's not like the playoffs are even going to happen. So I almost feel like get him in for like 10 plays, bring him in for a drive and say, you're going to run these 10, 10 or 15 plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just, just see how he does, you know, break him in a little bit because who Mm -hmm. cares at this point? It doesn't matter until, until he's eventually ready to start. One of the things I'm interested to see when he does start, listen, the Niners line has parts of the line. Anyway, has has been bad this year. And a lot of the pressures come from that. But another thing, the pressures come from is that Hoyer and they they hold on to the ball, both of them. And with most, good quarterbacks. I mean you have your your who are going to hold on to the ball until the last second. And there's guys who who hold on good quarterbacks that hold on to the ball, but a lot of the quarterbacks know where they're going with the ball pre pre-snap and they get rid of the ball. And you haven't seen that with Hoyer and with um Bethard. So I wonder if Grappolo gets in if he's a little better at that. He may make the line look better if he's somebody who gets rid of the ball quickly. That'll be interesting to see. Um but one question um I did want to ask you and I I didn't we didn't talk about this off air so I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But with Ruben Foster, you saw him go down again in this game. He's holding his leg, and you're just like, "Oh man, you know <laughs> this guy's going to get hurt again." Do you shut him down? Shanahan said that the high ankle sprain is going to be an issue all season. Are you going to? Do you feel they should shut him down at this
2: point or keep playing him? Uh, it's an interesting question because he did come back into the game, and it's funny that that at the time it wasn't funny, but now we can look back in hindsight, it was funny. They showed a they showed a clip of John Lynch when Reuben Foster went down. He was actually pounding pounding the table in the press box. So I it's because he probably feels the same thing. Like it's just right. this guy like he's he's such a rare talent, but he just, you know he he just gets hurt. every every game he's played, he's gotten hurt. But I will say that he he completed the game. He finished the game, finished the game with uh, fourteen tackles and led the team. Had a had a pretty a couple of pretty impressive stops as well. We shot through a gap and stopped uh, Adrian Peterson short of the first down. So, I I really think that they need to see what they have in him and and they want to see where he fits best. Is he going to be a Mike linebacker? Will they put him at Sam? Where where can they where can they put him that that's going to be best? Well, Sam's going to be most likely Malcolm Smith when he comes back. Can they put him at Will? So it it really depends on with the severity of the injury, like if he's getting hurt, like repetitively, like every game, I think at that point they can, they can shut him down. Unfortunately, high ankle sprains, they kind of stay with you for, for a long time. It's not like a, it's not like an injury that goes away. Like it's like a, like a month long sort of at least a month long recovery. And I, I, you know, I, I just don't know. I think that they need to see more from him. They need it. They need to be able to get him used to diagnosing plays and, and, getting in there into into running lanes and things like that. And the only way you do that is, is by playing. So, so short answer. Yeah. They're going to let him play as long as he can long answer. They're probably going to shut him down if he keeps getting hurt in every single game.
1: Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. And he's just such a big part of the future. I just hope he stops getting hurt and he's somebody that can be on the field for them for a long time. Now going to game balls, <laughs> um if you can even give out a game ball um was there anybody that stuck out to you that you want to give a game ball to or are you, are you gonna um pass on this one
2: no you know it's funny because i'm giving game balls to like like john lynch and giving you know, like non non 49ers players it's like like gave a game ball to frank gore one week it's, it's funny because because uh who can you give it? A, sourd- well, it a sourdough was sourdough sam is gonna get the next game ball or something <laughs> i don't know right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. Uh, Actually, I do have a guy for a game ball, and and for the first time this year, I feel like we saw like his true potential. And it's the guy that we just talked about, Ruben Foster. Uh, he, I, I felt eight game of the year and played his best game of the year because he finished his first game of the year. So he led a team with 14 tackles, had a tackle for loss, was a presence in the middle. He seemed like he was a veteran out there, and it was only his, his basically his third, third, pretty much his third game playing. So I think that. With time, you'll see that, that he will be a stalwart within that defense, but I just think he needs help around him. But for the time being, he's he's super fun to watch. And I think that right now, outside of Carlos Hyde, he's probably the most notable 49er and the most fun to watch. So Ruben Foster gets my gimbal. I'm going to give mine an... In- Maybe kind of a questionable
1: call, but I'm gonna give mine to Carlos Hyde. I know, he didn't run the ball crazy well; his rushing stats weren't that great. But he did catch a lot of passes. Like he had nine catches in this game, I think, eight or nine.
2: Yeah, uh, but what for,
1: he nine for eighty four, yeah. nine for eighty four, and that's you know it's terrific. Um, but what he did, and, and I posted this question out on Twitter to people whether they liked it or not, and eighty five percent out of almost a thousand votes said that they were that, that they liked that he did this. When Bethard got hit there towards the end of the game, he went nuts and mm-hmm. he stuck up for his quarterback. Now, I have kind of two thoughts on this. The first thing is I, I love that he I love that he showed fire and stuck up for his quarterback. I loved it. Would I have preferred that he didn't throw punches and stayed in the game? Yeah, because he still could have stuck up for his quarterback. He still could have thrown some people around and not thrown punches and stayed in the game because you need your best offensive player on the field. We don't need mm-hmm. to get kicked out. Yeah. Having said that, I love that he did still stick up for them. And I wondered after it happened, I was kind of like, you know, I like the fire. I, I wish he handled it a little bit better. But then I was kind of like, was that the moment Carlos Hyde maybe sort of became part of not that he wasn't part of the team, but maybe part of the future in the eyes of of Lynch and Shanahan, that he showed that fire, that he stuck up for his quarterback, that he really showed, you know, don't mess with, don't mess with my teammates. Maybe, you know, yeah. we don't know the answer to that. So I'm gonna give him a game ball thinking that maybe sort of things are going to swing in the right direction with him now because you know I think he has some faults as a running back I do but I also think he's a good player I think he's a really good player I think he's coming along as a pass catcher which is important in shanahan's offense he's certainly the best player that they have on offense and I'd like to see them commit to him a little bit I'd like to see you know the running game you'll say all right well he had 10 carries and he had 24 yards well you need to get the ball in the running game you need to get a rhythm you need mm-hmm. to keep getting carries you know okay he's got 10 not the you know I'm just saying hypothetical numbers but let's say in a game he has 10 carries for 24 yards and then he busts a 15 yard run, you know, mm-hmm. well now his numbers look better, <laughs> you know, he needs yeah. to get the ball. So it's, it's that sort of thing, but he, he's going to get my game ball for sure. Um, and, and hopefully this is going to start being something where we see him take off. Maybe this is finally, you know, letting the fighter underneath him and, and Hyde maybe can finish the season the way he did last season. And And he finished last season. Great. He was really good down the stretch last year. So, now, the game this week against the Giants, <laughs> uh, the 2011 <laughs> NFC Championship game rematch. Both teams have, I think it's like one win and 31 players on IR or something like that between the two of them. Um, yeah. Something ridiculous like that. This is the best chance to me for the 49ers to win a game this year. If they yeah. don't win this, I unless Garoppolo comes in and he's good. Um <laughs> Uh, it's going to be tough for them to win another game And the Giants are just Reeling, reeling I mean yeah. they packed it in against the Rams And I think McAdoo's a, a dead man walk And mm-hmm. he should be He's done an awful job there, awful How many players have been like suspended and everything else It's just a horrible job And the Giants are such a classy organization Usually don't see them fire coaches that quickly But he's gone, mm-hmm. I mean there's no way So they're playing a Giants team That's talking about benching Eli Manning right now and if they're not going to get a win this weekend i don't know when they're going to get a win so this is probably gonna be the last time i'm going to pick them all year but again unless unless jimmy comes in and changes the dynamic but i'm going to pick the niners in this game it's going to be ugly it's not going to be pretty um but i think the niners are going to come away with the win they're at home the giants are just Probably have already packed it in for the season. I think they somehow come away. Maybe they get a, a turnover or something like that to win this game.
2: Yeah, the <laughs> just just win one game, man. Just don't just don't one. go one sixteen. <laughs> just one. Just don't go one sixteen, man. Come on, like I, I'm with you. And and again, last week one of us was wrong. I was I, I had picked the 40 ers to win, but I'm just you know this is this is I'm feeling good about this one. The first time all year, I'm like, you know what, this is this is the game that they should win. And especially if if uh, the the Cal product actually Davis Webb is the backup for for the Giants, so he actually might get some action. And especially if Davis Webb gets gets the start over Eli Manning, I, there's no reason why the Forty ers should win this game. And this is as close to a mock as you'll see all season, and it's not it's not a lock at all. So I think the Forty ers are going to win, and it's just it's like you said, it's going to be ugly. It's it's going to be the Toilet Bowl, right? They're going to be. Yeah. You know it's fine. They'll, they'll come out of the week. They'll be the one and Niners. So I'm cool with <laughs> that. And and the, the Giants they're without their top three receivers, and they they have no way of generating a ton of points. And and this just this just, this has to be that week where the 49ers win. And I think that if they can put together even like a a, a B minus effort, they should be able to win this game. And I think we just got a call in. Derek, how you doing? Yo. How are you?
1: What's going on? I'm all right. Ladies and gentlemen. finally
0: got through.
1: No, it's all right. Former 49ers offensive lineman Derek Deese. Derek, how you doing tonight?
0: Yeah, what's going on?
1: What's going on? What's going on? All right, Derek, so we're going to get right into it. We appreciate the time tonight. I wanted to ask you first and foremost, looking back at your career, you were actually with the 49ers for a few years uh, before you saw your first regular season action in 1994. Can you take us through what your development was like in those early years before you finally cracked the lineup?
0: It was intense. I mean, yeah, you had six six weeks of training camp, sometimes seven, to, because we played overseas. Um, my first two years, so it was it was a lot of work. Um, There's a lot of guys in camp, more so than what they have now, and and at the same time, you you know, you had to get in there and battle, and there was just no. Uh, you know the guys there. There's so many guys with so so many. We got uh, very little reps uh, for the backup guys, especially being an undrafted guy like myself. So you had to take advantage of every opportunity you got.
2: And when you finally did get your shot in '94, you were start starting as basically a rookie on a team that was expected to win the Super Bowl. Can you kind of talk about what it's like to play as a young player with those kinds of expectations?
0: You, you know, I was fortunate enough to be playing with a lot of guys that. that had a whole lot of experience, so they kept me well grounded, and uh, it was it was really easy to to be honest with you because I'd already you know practiced with them for the last two years. I'd already studied a lot of film. Um, basically, I was just ready to play uh, during the games, and so when I got my opportunity, uh, Bob McKittrick told me to take advantage of it. Um, Mike Shanahan told me to make sure I take advantage of it, and that's exactly what I did. So it really, you know, the expectations for myself and William Floyd being the only change that happened on that offensive line, I mean, on the offensive side of the brawl period, wasn't really a big deal. Floyd came in, you know, bar none, and he had, you know, he had his own mentality, and I had mine.
1: Derek, the 49 offensive line in the 90s was always so athletic and mobile, and the late, great Bob McKittrick always looked for that in his linemen. How key to that? was the success in your, in your offenses, especially late in the games where your athleticism would wear down the defenses.
0: Well, that's what, that's what Bob was really good at. You know, Bob didn't need, uh, you know, first round or second round offensive lineman. He could take a guy that, you know, nobody wanted and he could see that, you know, Hey, look, this guy has some athletic ability. He's got a, a mean streak. He's got an attitude and he wants to play and, and that would work well for his system. And so, for us, we were always the guys that were in shape, and, and we would wear you down, you know, because we could run with the best of them. And So we knew, hey, maybe in the first first quarter, first quarter and a half, you know, you're going to be a little bit stronger. Come the third and come the fourth, I promise you, you're going to be able to keep up, and that's exactly what we did.
2: And Derek, this season, the 49ers have had to do a lot of shuffling along the offensive line due to all the injuries. You played every position on the along the O-line in your career. Now, how tough is that on an offensive lineman moving to fill in at a spot where you don't really have a ton of experience?
0: Well, you know, Brown had to do that this week against the Cardinals where he had to move from right tackle to left. And um, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, you have to have um, an understanding of what you're asking a guy to do when you're asking that he's played one side for so long, if not his whole career, and then all of a sudden you want him to move over and say, hey, become this left tackle. Everything is is opposite. You know, your power foot is opposite. Your hand, hand, your hand placements are opposite. What you're viewing is opposite. And actually coming from the right to the left. Most of the time, you end up with the top pass rusher on the left side. So, um, it's a it's a difficult deal. Uh, a lot of times, it comes down to that lineman who's being asked to do it. You know, does he have the attitude? Does he have the, the pride and the respect to want to do it and understand that he's doing it for the team and and also understand that you don't want to be embarrassed when you're playing, so you're going to do everything you can to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, one of the, you know, I was talking to somebody, um, because I was up at the game, actually, this this past weekend, and, um, you know, somebody asked me about that, and I was, I was telling them that, you know, one of the best years that I played was when I was able to go play left tackle for two quarters and then move over to the right tackle for a quarter and then move back to left tackle, and that was every game during the season and th- that to me says a lot about what kind of a, a player you can be and what kind of a player you are uh, it's extremely difficult it takes a lot of studying and and it's not very easy and i think you know when 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 you're talking about a player that's willing to do that i mean that's an exceptional athlete
1: now you played for kyle shanahan's father mike and you were also with kyle when he was just beginning his coaching career in in tampa I'm curious what your thoughts were when you heard that the 49ers were hiring Kyle Shanahan as their head coach And what kind of job do you think he's done given the circumstances so far?
0: Well, I thought it was a great hire to be honest with you. I mean, here's a guy that he, he's been in the 49ers system. He, he's been there. He was a, you know, when he was at, at the manager he was a kid, you know, when Mike was, when Coach Shanahan's his dad was there when Mike was there. And so it was, uh, it was good to see him, you know, actually get the, the head coaching job. And I think he'll, he'll do a great job right now. You have to understand what's, what's being asked is that you have to, you have to have, um, eventually you have to clean house. You know, um, he's got to start from, from scratch almost because he's got to start bringing his own guys and, and and to fit the system that he wants. It's, it's a little bit easier to get guys on the defensive side to do what you're asking versus on the offensive side. It's going to take some time. And then also what's what's going on with the offensive line and and not just the injuries, but just the amount of time that linemen get now in the NFL, it takes longer to develop a group and have a core that's, that can gel and play together um, the way they need to do it.
2: Now there's a certain brotherhood that comes from playing football. Who were some of your favorite teammates throughout the years and who do you kind of still stay in touch with?
0: Um, some of the guys are you well, know, Tim McDonnell and, and Steve Wallace and Jesse Savo and Harris Barton and, and Guy McIntyre, um, you know, Merton Hanks, Rod Mostad, I stay in touch with Dave Fiore, Jeremy Newberry, Ron Stone. I mean I stay in touch with a lot of my teammates. Um, you know and it's it's hard sometimes obviously because we're in different areas but and and you know, spending time with your family and everybody's kinda busy. But you know, the one thing about about us is that you know, we, we share, like you said, a brotherhood, but, you know, if we don't talk for three or four months, the first time we actually get on the phone together and talk, it's like we never stop talking. So, um, you know, to be able to do that, you know, it's a special relationship and, and you know, being able to, to have that connection and, and being able to, to know that we were part of something that was special, uh, it's, it's a big deal. Not to mention that my charity that I have is with Junior Bryant, so, I mean, you know, it's it, Bryant Young. I talked to him. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you know you stay in touch with on um, both sides of the ball. And like I said, you know, for alumni weekend that just passed, it was great to see everybody. You know, I hadn't seen Coach Scrafford or Scott Gregg in years. I mean, it was good to see him, mm. uh, see them, and 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 talk to them. And you know, it was just like we had kind of just left the locker room and we we're just out having a dinner and, and having dinner and just talking and 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 chatting it up.
1: What is your charity, Derek, with uh, Junior Bryant?
0: Oh, it's the Legends of Sports. Um, basically, what we do is we we, we take care of uh, we try to take care of former athletes that are in need, and also you know helping helping youth um, understand what it takes to be an athlete and getting kids you know the ability to play sports that can't afford it and that kind of stuff. It's so great, it's a great awesome. Yeah, it's, it's it's a big deal for us, you know, especially with guys that are that have played and, you know, feel like, you know, there's nobody out there that help them get over the hump on certain things. And, you know, being able to do that is, is a blessing in itself.
1: Now, one of your other teammates was, was Terrell Owens. And are you shocked that he's not in the Hall of Fame, given what he did on the field?
0: You know, I talked to T.O. Jeez, that's another one I talked to. I talked to him probably every couple of weeks. You know, okay. I, I I think that, I think the Hall of Fame should be ashamed of it too. And um, you know, as a player, you're tied. You know, it's always about the numbers. It's always about the numbers. It's always about the numbers. You know, whether it's the Pro Bowl or whether it's making it eight, you know, All Pro or whatever it is, it's always about the numbers. MVP of the league is always about the numbers. Um, and and this guy obviously, the T.O. has the numbers. There's, you can't take that from him. He has the numbers it says that I am the second best receiver to play the game, period. And you can argue whether when you want, he's in the tap. Whenever you talk about the top three receivers ever to play the game, he's going to be in that discussion. So the mm-hmm. fact that you have they haven't put him in the hall is ridiculous. It makes no sense. The hall can't be the hall without putting guys in like that. And if they call themselves, you know, make, you know, getting him back or whatever, you know, getting revenge or however you want to call it. It's ridiculous. I, mean, I think at the end of the day you have to look at it and say, the wrong people are voting for the right for, for the guy to get in the hall. Now, what was he
1: what was he like as a teammate? Does he have a bad reputation that maybe he doesn't deserve? What did you think of him as a teammate?
0: I thought he was fine. I mean I didn't I, you're talking about a guy, like I said, I talk to him like every couple of weeks. So if if I felt he was a bad teammate, I wouldn't, I mean, obviously we wouldn't have a good relationship or a good rapport, right. so we wouldn't talk. But I didn't have problems with him. I mean, there's a lot of things that T.O. did for for younger guys that were just coming into the league and guys that, that needed help on the side that, you know, some of us didn't know and some of us did know and T.O. took care of it. You can ask those guys. You can talk to those guys personally. And they'll tell you, hey, look, man, he did a lot for me that people don't even know about. And he never, he never wanted to be acknowledged for doing it. And, and those are the kind of things that, you know, I look look at people and say, look, you can't talk bad about someone you've never spent time with. You know, a lot of people have, have criticized him because of some of the things that they've seen or some of the things they've heard. But unless you spend, you know, a day or two days with the guy personally, I don't want to hear anything you have negative to say about him because I think he's I think
2: he's a, a good guy and I think he gets a bad rap. Now, Derek, you're you're a Super Bowl champion and you pretty much lived out my my life dream of of winning a Super Bowl and being on the field for when that when the final horn goes off to to end that game and and hoist that trophy. What's it like to to be in a game like that, like winning the Super Bowl? Or in in the game like where Terrell Owens made the catch to beat Green Bay in that wild card game in 1998. What's it like to be in moments like that?
0: Well, you know, um, when you're in the moment, it's 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 you know, hey, look, the game is over and and we won. You know, the the one thing that that I remember from the Super Bowl is that you know Jesse Sapolu told me like, hey, look, don't make this bigger than than what it has to be to you. You know, just treat this like any other game that we've played all season. And so I went out and I treated the week the same way as I normally would. I didn't do anything different throughout the week, even though we were in Miami and there was a, you know, crowds and media days and all that kind of stuff. I still, I ran the week pretty much the same way I would have done had we been either at home or on a, on our a way trip playing any divisional appoint, opponent. But when the game was over, it was, it was like, okay, that's great, we won another game. Um, and that might've been my mindset it really didn't hit me how big this was until you're actually being presented with a ring, you know, a few months later in a box. And then you look through the glass and you see this big, huge, you know, championship ring and you realize that's when your hands start shaking and you're like, man, I've, I've accomplished something that not a lot of people will. And there's a lot of guys in here, um, that it took, you know, to, to make it happen. And we all had the same goal. And, and we all, you know, uh, came together and played as a team and, and, and made it happen. And you think, you know, because it was my third year in the league that that happened. So you think, like, man, this could happen again. But you also had guys like Richard Dent, who was on that team, who you're talking 10 years later, has was making it back to, to another Super Bowl. So, you know, I'm sure at some point he thought, like, oh, I'd be at three or four of those things. And it didn't happen for him. And the same thing with me. And at that point I'm thinking like, man, we can we can make a run on this thing three or four times. And and we were in it, you know, for three or four more times, but <laughs> never got back. do
2: you feel like you uh wish you enjoyed it a little bit more as a rookie to win it all, knowing that you may not get back there again?
0: No, not at all. Not at all. You know, um I did I did what it took to actually win the game as I'm concerned, you know, and keep myself um from becoming maybe too excited or or tiring myself out, or you know, and, and partying, and enjoying all that stuff. There's time to do all that after the game was over, and you know, years down the line. So I'm glad I am glad I went in with the same mindset. I'm glad Jesse told me how to handle it. Uh, I'm glad that that you know I listened, and and we kept the thing you know going. You know, you hear guys a lot of times. There's guys that you hear during the Super Bowl week where they get sent home or. They're not ready, and you look at some teams, and you can tell, like, man, maybe that team partied a little bit too much or maybe mm-hmm. some of those guys were out too late too many times or they did something different than their normal routine. And and it, it shows. But for me, that I don't look at it like I didn't enjoy it. And, you know, I had I had my family there. Uh, I had, you know, some coaches there that I, that I wanted to be there. I had my coach there. And, and I, I you know, like I said, I was blessed to be in that moment and actually win it and, and enjoy it. And
2: every former player that we've talked to always has really, really glowing things to say about Eddie DeBarlo. Can you kind of talk yeah. about what Mr. DeBarlo means to you um, and meant to you in your playing career? Means to you today?
0: Yes, well, you know, um, Mr. De taught, taught taught everybody a lot. You know, um, he basically took everybody in, and, and everybody—you know, you weren't just a player to him. You know, you're you're like another son, and he embraces the whole family and. He wanted family days, and he wanted to make sure that your family was around as much as possible. And he wanted to know your kids if you had kids, and and so forth. Um, it's uh, and the way that he went about the game and playing it, and what we what we had to do. Um, you carry that on. You carry that on, and uh, whenever you leave, you know. I, I, he, he had things where he would say like, you know, in order to 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 get to the top, you know, you got to be willing to to pay the price to get to the top, and so um, you carry that on in life. And and you can't you can't replace certain things. You can't replace certain knowledge. You can't replace um, guys saying, you know, man, how lucky you were to be on that team, or how lucky you were to be on that, be part of that organization. And guys that wish they could actually have been a part of that organization. And looking at the league and looking at how many new facilities were being built at the time and um, and even later in the 2000s, and people still were trying to replicate what he had done. Um, you know, that's another name that I think it took way too long to get him into the hall. Um, you know, when you got people trying to emulate you and do things that you did um, in the league and trying to be exactly like you were, and they want their franchises to be what your franchise was. Why are we having a discussion about why? How many years it's going to take to get them in the hall? Just, it doesn't make sense, you know. But um, I was happy when when they finally got the call, and uh, you know everybody, you know everybody showed up. It was, it, I mean, that's how special he is, you know. Um, to this day, if he ever needed anything or he wanted something, or whatever, which no, you know he doesn't, but if he ever did, I'd be there, and I promise you everyone else would be there you know he's just he's just a guy you know you look at as another father, another father figure and and he has the utmost respect from 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 all of his players. you know he's the one that made everyone say it's a 49 matter family, and that goes all the way back from even guys that you didn't play with to guys that are on the team now.
2: Yeah, in my in my opinion, Eddie Barlow was the best the best owner in all of sports. Like he was a visionary. He was he changed how the game off the field was was handled. It just just the the best. Yeah. Now, now Derek, before we let you go, I, ha- I have to ask. There are a few things that I vividly remember from then the the nineties Forty Nine ers teams. I vividly remember that Super Bowl and and when you guys won and going out of my house and screaming, running down the street putting my hands up in the air. I was about 10 years old. I, I vividly remember the Terrell Owens catch. I also vividly remember Jerry Rice scoring a lot of touchdowns. And what I remember on the tail end of those touchdowns is you going down to the end zone and picking him up while he celebrated. <laughs> now, was, was, do you like to designate a guy? Hey, I'm going to pick up Jerry when he scores. It was just kind of like whoever got there first.
0: No, it actually became a tradition. Um, you know, uh, it was, it was a, it was a big deal for me. Um, to be, to be on that team and to be on the, on the field. And, and obviously the, you know, I'm a, I was a guy that was a, I was a, I was a, I was a ball a brawler. You know, I like to fight. I like to mix it up. I like to protect my guys. But, you know, um, I also liked, you know, whenever we accomplished something, you know, it, I felt like that that was part of the goal. You know, you guys all go set out to do something. If you want to go 80 yards, let's go 80 yards. And um, when you have the big plays, you know, you gotta, I had to be down there anyway for the field goal. Right. So I'm just going to run down and, and, <laughs> and celebrate with, with my guys, you know, and that was, that was, a that was a big thing for me. You know, it was, um, it's funny because he talks about that, you know, Jerry talks about that a lot and it, it, it just started out as like a couple of things and all of a sudden it just became every game and it was every touchdown, you know, and, and so he would always turn around at some point and look for me when I was there, you know, and I'd be there. <laughs> He'd be like, I don't know how he got down here but he got down here quick. <laughs> so um, you know, it it's those are moments, you know, that uh that I remember and I uh you know, I cherish and and even, you know, today when I talk to Flash, you know, it's always about, you know, you know, what what's he doing, you know, I think he still has it, you know, letting him know. And he was, I think it was a there's a video out where he went out and practiced with the guys this year and uh yeah, uh, he, he went out, and put on the gloves, and made a couple of catches. He still got it,
2: you
0: know. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not sure I can
2: run all the way down and smash it I like there, but uh, you know, it'd be fun. Oh man, great stuff, Derek! Man, thank you so much for joining us, man. I, I have to say, it was it was a pleasure watching you play growing up, and and thank you so much for everything that you've done for the 49ers in the city of San Francisco. We got to do this again, man. Thank you so much.
0: Any time, and I appreciate
2: it. Thanks
0: for having me on. Thank
2: you, Derek. Take care. Hey, take care. And thank you again to old number 63, Derek Deese, for joining us. And, man, Super Bowl champion. Like, I I vividly, like, remember him on that offensive line. He was, like, one of those undersized guys, Al, that just was, just like he said, he was a brawler. He was just pound for pound one of the toughest guys.
1: That yeah, was great. And it's great listening to him and, and those guys who were there and listening to those stories. And I love that question about Jerry Rice, picking up Jerry Rice. Yeah. <laughs> that was so much fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, those awesome. guys were there, man. You know, it's, it's cool to hear it. So, but yeah, thanks.
2: That was an awesome interview. Really fun. And for Al Sackle, this is Zane Nackvie for the 49ers Web Zone Know How to Podcast. We'll see you all soon. Thanks, everybody.